0: Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to talk about something that, that my daughter does, and, and God does too. So, Or maybe God does it, and, and also my daughter does it. What is that? And I think a lot of people do this this thing. It's it's sort of like a very, very idiosyncratic kind of thing from my point of view, which is she's a big reader. And before she reads a book, she reads the last few pages. <laughs> and I, I think a, a lot of people do that. And, and why does she do that, by the way? Just because... Sometimes it's a very tense experience reading a book. You want to know the ending. Is is there a happy ending? Is there not a happy ending? Does everyone make it out okay? And, And if you know the end, then you can enjoy the ups and downs that the characters go through on the way to that happy ending. So God does that too. How so? Because history is so filled with ups and downs like, we don't know where it's going. Where is it going? How does it all end? But God has told us how it ends. So we actually know the end of this story while we're in the middle of the process, which is such a chesed, it's such an act of kindness that God gives us, that there is a happy ending, right? We, we call that happy ending, it has a, a code word, you know, which is, or a buzzword, which is Mashiach, right? The, the Messiah, That's the that's the ending. But but that's a bit of a that's a bit of a misnomer that word because the the Mashiach is an individual, so you think of Moses, Moses taking the Jews out of Egypt. That would be the clearest example of what we're talking about. And also, you should know something else. A lot of people don't Jews don't grow up with the idea of Mashiach. But Mashiach the Messiah is ten thousand percent a Jewish idea. All the religions that have this figure in their in their religion took it from Judaism. It's a Jewish idea. So so know that, just know that from the outset. However, the mistake that a lot of people make is that they concentrate on who that person is. And it's not about who that person is. I mean, the Jewish people have a very strong understanding that it has to be certain things. He has to be a Jew, he has to be a great Torah scholar. He has to rebuild the base of Nigdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem. If he doesn't do that, then he might be very holy, but he is absolutely 100% not the Messiah. He has to fight the wars of God and ingather all of the Jewish exiles back to the land of Israel. So there's a whole laundry list, a whole checklist that the Rambam brings down in the Book of Kings. And if someone doesn't meet those criteria, they're simply not the Messiah. doesn't mean they're not special, but the Messiah is a very particular person. Anyway, what's the point? We're talking about this time of peace, which is destined for the world, which was built into creation from the very start, where there's like universal brotherhood and sisterhood and love and understanding and an awareness of the oneness of God. And there's no war and there's no, there's no hatred. There's no hunger. So that should open up people's minds, because that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this right now is because these are very, very special days. These are what's known as the nine days in Judaism. And it begins from the first day of the month of Av, and it culminates with the ninth of Av also known as tishabav Tisha B'Av. is Hebrew. Do you know what the translation of tishabav is? The ninth of Av, okay? It sounds very complicated and fancy, but it's just the Hebrew phrase for the date on the calendar. So as I'm sure all of you know, this is like the darkest day of, of the year, but there's this core of light inside of it. And we've discussed the dynamics of, of this day, how both of these things can, can exist. And basically, just to shorthand it, just to shorthand the thought right now, is that basically so much light is coming down on this day. But if we don't have vessels to hold that torrent of light that's coming down, it manifests itself as destruction. So th- this is like, this is the a great secret in terms of understanding so much about our lives and why there's so much brokenness in the world and How could it be that God is good and God wants good and God desires to bless us all of the time and yet there's so much suffering and everything like that? How do those two things coexist with each other? And the simple answer is, is that God is radiating his good all of the time. But if we don't have vessels to hold that good, in other words, if we haven't widened our minds, if we haven't opened our hearts, if we're not creating like deeds and, and, and beauty for that light to manifest inside of, then it manifests itself as destruction. Like, just think of it on the most simple level. Imagine you have, like, a dam. You know, they, you can think of the Hoover Dam. Maybe you visited the Hoover Dam. I mean, there is a giant man-made lake behind those walls of the dam, giant. But you know where it's even bigger? There's this dam in China that I've read about. I don't even know the name of it, but they've worked on like for decades and, then, and created, by the way, all these ecological disasters building this dam, but that's, that's beside the point. There, there is an enormous, enormous dam in China. You can look it up. Now, imagine How much power, how much potential power is stored up in those waters? Imagine if they opened up, just fully opened up all the gates to that water in that Chinese dam, say, for instance, right? This would apply to any dam, but I think that's the biggest dam in the world, I think. Imagine the rush of water, what what that would be. Imagine what that would be. Well, imagine someone's thirsty, and all they want is a drink of water, and you open up all all the doors of the dam in front of them. Well, they want water, and you're giving them water, but all that would manifest is destruction. Because that person can't hold all that water in a cup. I mean, let's be serious. It's It's so out of whack. And so that's that's maybe a helpful way of thinking of this idea that all this light is coming down, but if we don't have vessels for it, then it's like the waters of a dam. So on the one hand, Tisha B'av, the ninth of Av, the rabbis teaches the day Mashiach is born. On the other hand, though, it's the day that you know every gigantic horrible thing has happened to the Jewish people. Again, because there's so much light coming down, and we don't have vessels to hold the light. So, so how do we make those vessels? How do we make those vessels? And that's our work right now. That's why we're talking about this right now especially. It's our work 365 days of the year, right? Until this next year comes. But now we, you know, at certain times of the year, we focus on certain ideas more strongly. And so, so there's a teaching, which is, it's it's kind of a sad teaching, but then there's sort of a, a happier version of this teaching that I'll tell you afterwards. So the rabbis teach that any generation that the Holy Temple isn't rebuilt is a generation where it counts as though it was destroyed. And this touches on a very deep idea of our Torah and time, Torah's understanding of time, which is that when we get to certain critical days of the year, like Yom Kippur, or Passover, or, or this day that we're talking about right now, the ninth of Av, we don't, we don't, we don't celebrate the day, or observe the day as an anniversary. In other words, Right now, you know, 2000 years ago, 3000 years ago, whenever it was this event happened, it happened on this day. And so I'm commemorating this day and I'm studying these ideas which are relevant because this event happened so many thousand years ago. We don't say that. And just to review a thought, this is a very important thought in, in, in case you're not familiar with it. The, the Western notion of time is linear. So it's just a straight line and every moment of the day you're you're advancing further along this straight line called time. But the Jewish view of time is like a spiral. Goes around and around and around and around. And there's certain key days of the year. Like, let's say, Passover, let's say leaving Egypt. And the idea is that that even though that happened so long ago, The energy from that day shoots up through time, all the way till the end of time, so that as you circle around it and you re-enter that stream, you're not celebrating the anniversary of a day, you are re-entering the day. You are re-experiencing that day. It's a very holy idea very holy idea and so when the rabbis teach that any generation where the holy temple isn't rebuilt it's like it was destroyed you see a feeling of that idea right now that that this idea of tish above and the root problems of tish above and we're going to discuss this more which is causeless hatred it's called sinas chinam right hating people for no reason that root is still ongoing, which means we're still in the day itself. Therefore, we're still subject to the traumas of the day itself. So that if we don't have a base of migdash, don't think that it's because over the last several thousand years it wasn't rebuilt. No, it's because we are tearing it down ourselves. Okay. So I believe it was the Ger Rebbe. He wants to understand that teaching in a slightly different way and here's the 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 more positive version of that teaching which is he says that in a generation where the holy temple isn't being rebuilt it's like it was destroyed in other words as long as we're making forward progress toward addressing this problem of causeless hatred as long as we're making forward progress, we are rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple. And so it wouldn't count as a generation where it's being destroyed. So as long as we're in the rebuilding process, and right now, all of us who are discussing these thoughts together right now, all of us are in the rebuilding process right now. So that's, that's, that's very positive. So I want to talk about this on a, on a number of different levels, on a practical level, on, 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 on deep levels, things like this. So let's just start with the practical for now, okay? So we have this idea called causeless hatred. Now, if I were to go up to you and I say, why are you hating people? Why are you hating that guy for no reason? You know what? Almost 100% of the people would say back to me, Oh no, I have ample reasons to hate him. I have so many reasons why I hate that guy. Why are you accusing me of causeless hatred? I hate that guy for so many reasons. So we didn't solve the problem, by the way. (laughs) The problem is is that there's that go-to emotion at all. And it's coming from a lot of different places. Probably the biggest place that it's coming from is that we forget that we're all one soul, that we share one soul together. And if you really carve that notion into your mind and into your heart, this idea of someone else being, quote unquote, the other disappears. And this is a more fundamental idea that we We really have to make an an adjustment in just our sense of selves in order to be able to really succeed at this. And most people think that, who am I? Okay, so who am I? I guess I'm my body and my soul, or my soul and my body. And that I sort of end, you know, where my skin and bones end. That's sort of the contours of me, and that is me. And this is a very incorrect and problematic way of thinking of yourself because the, you are you. You are the contours of your body and your soul, whatever that is. That, that is true. That's not, not true. But another absolutely essential aspect of yourself is this one shared soul, which is also you which means you extend beyond you which means you are the individual but you are also the community and unless you take part in a community you are not realizing that aspect of yourself so right now if you're if you're listening to this talk if you're if you're on the zoom or or in your car whatever it is you are tapping into this larger community which is which is amazing but you know, that's why it's it's so important like on Shabbos, for instance, why it's really important to have Shabbos meals with people or if you can't do that, to to go to the to the shul, to the local synagogue. It's very, very important. And and the and the reason is Not so much that, oh, I have certain obligations and and I can only meet them in that place. Like I don't have a Torah scroll where they're going to read it in my house. If I want to meet that obligation, I have to go to shul in order to hear it read. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that's also true. But I'm talking about something else right now. What I'm talking about is if you want to realize yourself, you have to manifest community. And that is, in terms of our daily life, one of the headquarters where you manifest community. You know, I heard a, a phrase recently that I, I thought was really fun, which was JFK. Like, so people show up to show JFK. What is that? Just for kiddish, right? <laughs> Kiddush is... After after all the prayers are said where they serve the food, right? That's like the free buffet, basically. It's free unless you're sponsoring it, of course. But anyway, that's... But you know what? That's a beautiful thing, too. If that's where you're at, if that's where you're holding, that's also a beautiful thing. Because what you're doing at that moment is you are participating in community. And and you shouldn't... and And for a lot of people... If that's your if that's your starting off point, that's you're accomplishing quite a bit just by doing that. So, so, to the extent that we align ourselves with the community, we realize ourselves. Because you are the you that's inside your own thoughts, but also a, a, a you are also. An aspect of this greater soul. And that harmony has to be established if you want peace with yourself. You won't have full peace with yourself unless you unless you unless you get those two aspects of yourself in balance. Okay. So again, just so we're communicating right now. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to understand what I just said. I didn't just say participate in community. <laughs> that that's, sounded like that's what I was talking about. That, and that is a large part of what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is I want you to think of yourself differently. That's what I'm really talking about. Change your notion of what I means. You know, every once in a while I have the privilege of, of marrying a couple. Uh, not, it hasn't happened too many times. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you something beautiful from Rip Shlomo. You ready? Reb Shlomo said one time I was there. He said that when a couple asks him to marry them, he he asks each one, "Can you live without the other one?" And if they if they don't answer, "I can't live without the other one," he says he won't marry them. Isn't that beautiful? And then he told this story. He said a couple showed up, there was a knock at his door, a couple showed up. It's a man and a woman and they said, will you, will you marry us? And you know, Reb Shlomo's weddings were legendary, absolutely legendary. And I was privileged, my wife and I were married by him and that, that's very happy about that. But anyway, he said, he told this story, I heard him. He said that he said to the man, he said, can you live without her? And she said, or rather, he, he asked the man, can you live without her? And he said, no, I can't live without her. And then he turned to the woman and he said, can you live without him? And she said, yeah, I, I can live without him. And he said, I'm very sorry, I can't marry you. And some time later, there was a knock at the door. And she showed up with tears streaming down her face. She said, how could I have said something so stupid? Of course I can't live without him. I don't know why I said that. How could I have ever have said that? And so he he married them, you know? So. And the rare occasions where I have the the, the, the the privilege to marry a couple, one thing that I always tell them is, from now on, I means we. Right? There's no I anymore. There's only we. I means we. And And that holds true for all of us, whether we're married or not, that I means we. Because I also means that you're part of this collective soul. And then when you make that mental adjustment, the next things that I'm going to tell you on a practical level in terms of trying to uproot causeless hatred will come easier, which is, you know, I want to tell you something. So this is one of the most heartbreaking Torahs that I ever heard from Reb Shlomo. You ready? He said, you know what the definition of a good friend is? Someone who you can tell good news to. I mean, you can cry a million tears from that. You know why? Because for so many people, your good news is my bad news. And like I said, a lot of times, if you don't have a Ferrari, it's not because God ran out of Ferraris. <laughs> That's not the reason. <laughs> that guy's Ferrari is not coming out of your garage. <laughs> and we have to stop thinking of things in that way, where somehow you, the job that you just got is coming out of my pocket, right? Right? Or the person you just married, I I could have married. It's believe me, it's it's not. That's not how it works. Or you had a kid, now I'm gonna have one less kid. I mean, do you understand the idiocy of that? And if you feel that way, and so many people do feel that way, and it's it's an. It's an unconscious thing. It's just something that they feel. You know you know who I know I can be good friends with? When someone says, hey, this person just sold a business or something like that. And their reaction is fantastic. I can be friends with that person. Because if that's their gut reaction, that their good news is my good news. then I know I have a soul brother or soul sister there. And let me tell you something else. If their good news isn't your good news, can I tell you something? I'm going to be very strong right now. There's a sickness inside of you. And you have to ask yourself, where is this sickness coming from? Because you've got to diagnose it. you got to get rid of it. Reb Shlomo said, if you can't have joy over other people's joy, you don't know the definition of joy. And lack of joy creates barriers in the world. And the presence of joy gets rid of barriers in the world. And I'll tell you another amazing teaching from Reb Shlomo a wedding teaching. You ready for this? He said, here's what people think. The chassan and kala, the bride and groom, get married and the people there are happy. He said, that's not how it works. He said, the people there are happy and that allows the chassan and kala to get married. In other words, the joy of the people there breaks down the final barriers that allows that one soul to get back together. Because the bride and the groom, the chassan and the kala are one soul, and they're reuniting at the chuppah, at the marriage canopy. They're reuniting. And the joy of the people there creates oneness, and that allows the final barrier to get torn down and for them to become One. So now I want to talk about barriers and, and the barrier that we have around our heart. And as I told you, we have this concept of circumcising your heart. And this is for men and women, by the way. And as important as, you know, the, the traditional bris milah on a, on a male child on the eighth day, as, as, as important as that is, and that's one of the primary mitzvahs of the Torah. On a deeper level, on a deeper level, this idea of circumcising our hearts, and again, this is for men and women both, this is in, in its own way even deeper. Because this barrier on our heart, and it's called an orla, by the way, an orla, this orla, this blockage that surrounds our hearts is one of the the barriers for us to connect with each other because you know, someone who loves you and, and who has great empathy and compassion for you, what, what's a phrase that you often hear people say? My heart goes out to you. And then you feel that. You feel their, their heart reaching out to you. I'll tell you a beautiful Torah, one of my favorite all-time Torahs. I heard it from our beloved friend, Oliver Shalom, Jeff Mann. Shalom Yaakov. Aliyah. He told me this in the name of one of the Rebbe's. You know, the esrig that we shake on, on, on sukkahs, it's one of the four species, right, that we shake. We put them all together and we shake them. The the esrig, a lot of times, has bumps on it. And, you know, one of the kind of celebratory parts of sukkahs, you know, this is after Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and now it's like what we call Zman Simchasenu, the time of our happiness, it's just, you know, we've kind of broken through in this incredible way, is shopping for your esrog. And and now one of the signs that our neighborhood in Los Angeles, the Pico-Robertson area, has really become developed is that you see people like in Borough Park in Brooklyn selling esrogim and lulav and esrogim on every street corner. Like for a mile on almost every corner, you've got tables set up and children are... Are, are, are selling them like it's it's beautiful like like what an interesting barometer of the spiritual development of a community right like how many places can you buy an esric right so so this is great it's just exploded over the last few years by the way it's just just another manifestation of just what's happening in this neighborhood so so i'll tell you how reb shlomo would buy an esric all right this is written in holy brother by Yitam Mandelbaum, one of the greatest books of all time. If you don't have it, you have to read it. Holy Brother, it's called. So which esrog are you going to buy? Well, they come at different price points, right? But still, you want to connect with your (laughs) esrog. So you have to pick up a lot of esrogium right like as they say you have to kiss a lot of frogs Havdil, before you find one that 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 speaks to you and and so which Esrig you know reb shlomo the Esrig stands for the heart reb shlomo had one of the biggest hearts ever how is he going to find an esrig? that 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 speaks to him so listen to this every time he would pick up an esrig that that wasn't for him, he would whisper to it before he put it down, I'm sorry. Isn't that awesome? You know, if you really live Torah in the way it's supposed to be lived, there's this exalted sensitivity which fills your heart and it even starts to get into inanimate objects. And I'll give you another example, one of my favorite examples. I heard this from Rabbi Friend. <clears throat> and it relates to Hanukkah. Okay, we're going from Sukkot to Hanukkah, and then back to Tisha B'Av. Okay, it's a, we're, we're racing around the calendar. So so everybody knows the miracle of Hanukkah was done over, over oil, right? Through oil, that, that there was oil that could only last for one day, and it lasted for eight days. This was a big miracle that we celebrate to this day. So we light the menorah in our homes, and and ideally, a person does it with oil, right? You put a little wick in the oil, and since that's the way the miracle was done initially, this is the better way to observe this mitzvah. But But a lot of people use candles, And according to Jewish law, it's permissible to use a candle. Okay, that's fine. Just like, by the way, a related teaching on Purim. Okay, now we're getting to Purim. (laughs) Let's see if we can end all the holidays by the end of this talk. But on Purim, the miracle was done through wine. Because it was at this wine feast with Queen Esther and Ahasuerus and and Haman, where the decree was reversed. So when we have this, this mitzvah to get... You know, outside of ourselves, which, you know, there are different interpretations of how you can go adloyada, which is beyond yourself. One of the, the standard ways is by drinking, but you can do it ways. You can, the Rambab says you can take a nap, you know, because when you're asleep, you don't have consciousness. So, you know, there are different ways to do it, but the classic way of doing it is by drinking. But you're supposed to drink wine, not tequila or vodka or something like this. Right? Because the miracle was done through one. So that's similar. So, so let's get back to Hanukkah. And I want to show you this exalted sensitivity toward even inanimate objects, like Rabbi Shlomo kissing the Esrug that he wasn't going to, to, to take as his own. Right? Putting it down, whispering, I'm sorry to it. So here's a halachic question. What happens if you pick up a wax candle? in order to light the menorah with. And then you remember, ah, oh, I have oil in the house. And that's an even bigger mitzvah to light with oil. What are you supposed to do? And so the answer is you're supposed to light with that candle because you've already, you already have the candle in your hand and you don't want to hurt the feelings of the candle. Is that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Why don't we put You know, there's a Torah way to put your socks and shoes on, right? You do right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe. Then you tie your left shoe. Then you tie your right shoe. Why not just put your right sock on and then your right shoe on? Or why not just put your left sock on and then your left shoe on? And so there there are different explanations for this. But the explanation that I heard first that I, I love. Is because if you put your right sock on and then your right shoe on, it will hurt your left foot's feelings. (laughs) And, you know, it kind of depends on your personality whether you find that a beautiful teaching or not. I, I find it an absolutely beautiful teaching. Because when I heard that as a kid, I said, you mean Torah is so concerned about the feelings of my left foot? What an extraordinary divine system this is. Okay, so now why am I telling you all this? We're talking about orlas and the blockages around our hearts, and I was telling you that the esrog stands for the heart, and there are different types of esrogim that you can buy. That that kind of some are more green, some are more yellow, some have a little kind of belt around the middle of them, they kind of squeeze in in the middle, you know? And some of them have bumps. And some of them have a lot of bumps. And I I personally am a bumpy Esreg guy. I like an Esreg with a lot of bumps. And the reason why I like it so much I think is because of this teaching that that Jeff Mann, Allah Shalom, is Shama should have an Aliyah taught me, which is that the esrog, which stands for the heart, do you know what the bump on the Esrig is? That's the heart reaching out. The heart reaching out to God. The heart reaching out to each other. Right? So what's the problem when we have an orla, an encasement around our heart? I'm me and you're you. I'm me, and you're you, and that's just the way it is, folks. That's just the way it is. And that, 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 that can't be the case, because that's an unnatural state. And so we have a commandment to take the Orla off of our hearts, and then the Navi, the prophet Yecheskel, says in another place, from God, Yechezkel says, I will circumcise your heart. So in other words, either we do it or God's going to do it. Hopefully we do it because that's, that's better. That, that's actually the much better end game if we can do it. But either way, it's going to be done. In other, way, in other words, either way, everything is going to open up in a beautiful way because we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. The end of the story is all of us uniting together, all God's children uniting together in peace. We know the end. Okay. So now, let's talk about getting rid of this orla on a deeper level. Let's go deeper. The main agency that we're going to do it through is through Torah and mitzvot. That's going to be the thing, the Esh HaTorah, right? The fire of Torah is going to burn it all off. And remember, there, there are different kinds of fire. There's a fire that burns and there's a fire which is so high that it doesn't burn. Which is an even higher fire. Right. You know, sometimes you can hear teachings and they melt, they melt your heart, and that's that's the white fire. That's that's a that's a fire that doesn't burn, but it's a fire. It's a fire. So it's going to happen through Torah, and it's going to happen through mitzvot. Remember, the the root of the word mitzvah is tzab, which means to connect. The mitzvot are the divine connections between us and God and us and each other. Now, listen to this. Do you remember how Moshe, right? We say Torah, Moshe, and we say Torah, Emet. Right, The Torah is the Torah from, that we receive from Moshe, and the Torah is the Torah of truth, and it says in the Torah that you can't add any commandments to the Torah, and you can't subtract any commands from the Torah. And if you add or subtract, you've created a new religion. It's not Torah. You can talk about the Torah in your new religion, but it is not torah emet You're in your own, you're in Whatever you want to call it. It's not what we're talking about right now. So Moshe had a speech impediment. Right? And do you know what that speech impediment is called by the Torah? Do you know how the Torah talks about that speech impediment? It said he had an orla on his mouth. his tongue. Isn't that fascinating? In other words, we're talking about these blockages, the blockages that are stopping us from getting to the next era of humanity. I really like to say this, which is that Torah believes in evolution more than Darwin. Because Darwin says that all of life started from a single cell and then we evolved into the people we are right now. Torah says that humanity and the universe itself is still evolving and that we're evolving toward perfection. And that that was the end game from the very beginning. We're still in the process of being created. The universe is still in the process of becoming what God had in mind from the very first moment of creation. That's the ultimate expression of evolution. But there's something blocking us right now from that next era. And as I've told you before, everything, when you study and you learn, everything is worlds within worlds within worlds within worlds. So you see the way we're going to get through that blockage to the next ears is by breaking that barrier, breaking that orla. And we're going to do it through Torah. So isn't it interesting now on a, as a microcosm that Moshe had an orla on his mouth and was able to break through that in order to reveal the Torah. To be the conduit that the Torah flowed through through the rest of humanity. But let's apply it to you and me right now. We have an orla around our hearts. And when we break down that orla, that, that encasement around our hearts, that blockage around our hearts, when we break that down, this big wall, this time-space barrier, which is keeping us from this next era, which already exists, by the way, we're going to be able to break through that. One of my favorite bumper stickers, in fact, my favorite bumper sticker. How's that for like, you know, like first state conversation? Hey, what's your favorite bumper sticker? Oh, I, I wish you had given me some time to prepare for that. I, I don't know, KCRW 98.6, I, I don't know what my favorite bumper sticker is. But I, I have a favorite bumper sticker. You know what it is? And I'm sure someone very great said it, someone probably like Gandhi or something. But anyway, I know it is a bumper sticker, which is think globally, act locally. And believe me, you know how much Torah is in that statement? There's like like billions and billions of pounds of Torah in that. Think globally, act locally because this is how the redemption is going to happen. And this is this idea of worlds within worlds. Remember, each person is a microcosm of the universe. And if you fix yourself, you fix everything. You fix all of creation. So if we can get rid of that orla, that barrier around our hearts, we break down that orla separating this era, this dimension from the next dimension, from this time of peace. Now, how do we do it? Well, we talked about getting rid of causeless hatred. We talked about changing your perception of yourself, that I is we. We talked about this idea that good news for someone else is good news for you because we're all on the same team. And that their good news is not coming out of your pocket. But now I want to tell you something awesome. And this is from the Chernobyl Rebbe, the Meor Enayam, right? That means the, the enlightening of the eyes. And this is, the Meor Einayim is one of the classic works of Torah. And the Chernobler wrote it. He's one of the greatest Hasidic masters. And this is one of my favorite stories. I don't know if it's a story, but just one of my favorite things in the world. Is that this book of the Chernobler Revis only, you ready for this? Only includes Teachings that he didn't remember saying. (laughs) And it's a classic, classic work of Torah. Can you imagine? It only includes teachings that he didn't remember saying. Because he was concerned if he remembered saying it. "Oh, oh, Oh, you know what? Throw in that thing that I said at that event. Remember? Remember that? Oh, right? Remember that one? Yeah, yeah. Make sure that one's in there. He felt that if he had remembered saying any of these things, that there might be a little bit of ego attached to it. And so he didn't want it in his in his book. Can you imagine the purity? Do you know who our holy people are, who our tzaddikim are? So I'll tell you this teaching from the Chernobyl Rebbe. Right? How are we going to get rid of the this orla around our hearts? So let me introduce it with another teaching. This is from Reb Chaim of Vilozhn, who of course was the greatest student of the Vilnagon. And Reb Chaim of Vilozhn said the following. He asks this question, classic classic question. How is it possible that the Beis Migdash, the holy temple in Israel, was ever destroyed? How is it possible? Right? We know that God fills the entire world, but the holy temple, so to speak, was God's headquarters. Right? He fills the whole world, but so to speak, that was his headquarters. So something that's so divine like that how could it ever be destroyed and so he gives a very amazing answer this is this is not his thought this is our 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 understanding this dates back you know at least 2000 years this teaching which is that when we started hating each other for no reason right what happened was god's presence and again god doesn't have a body God makes bodies. But God's, we call it the Shekhinah, this, this extra divine energy that, that, that can fill the world, right? Which is a more revealed sense that you understand, like, just intuitively that there's one God and everything like that. So this, this presence, that as we started hating each other, it left the world one stage at a time. One stage one stage, after one stage, after one stage, going back toward heaven. And when it did that, the base of Migdash, the holy temple, became like any other structure in the world, just stones, wood. So why shouldn't you be able to destroy? It? It's just another building at that point. And so that's the explanation of how it could be destroyed. So with that in mind, let's go back to the Chernobyl Rebbe. The Chernobyl Rebbe says, do you know why the temple was destroyed? He said, because we exiled God from our hearts. We kicked God out of our hearts. And because we kicked God out of our hearts, God's presence ascended from this world. Now remember, very important, God always fills the world. It never, God never stops filling the world. It's just that when that happens, he becomes progressively more concealed. He's always here 100%. But we don't want what's called hester punum, the concealment, right? We don't want that concealment here because then it's it's harder to see all the revelation of good and and we just see more brokenness when that happens so back to the chernobler we exiled god from our hearts and that's why all this happened now listen to this because this is so brilliantly direct and brilliantly simple he says, "Do you know how we can fix it? By putting God back into our hearts." <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Do you know how empowering that is? Because if you think, like, let's say you're a you know you're a, a reporter for the New York Times and you're 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 covering like the, uh, the your beat is. Jerusalem and East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount and everything like that, and you're you're covering it from that perspective, right? Or you're a you're a professor of I love this Near Eastern Studies. That's what, that's what they call the Middle East fancy college. You're you're a professor of Near Eastern Studies, right? And and, and I'm saying we're we're having a discussion. How are we going to rebuild the Holy Temple on the Temple Mount? How are we going to do that exactly? So, so, you'd go, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do it, frankly. I mean, World War Three, maybe. I mean, how are we going to do it? I don't know how we're going to do it. But let's go back to the Chernobyl. It's actually really simple. Just put God back in your heart. And when you do that, you break down the barrier around your heart. And when you break down the barrier around your heart, you break down this separation that exists between this time period and the destined time period. That orla, that blockage, will fall down in direct proportion to which it falls down around our hearts. And so you talk about the ultimate example of think globally, act locally. I mean, if you can do better than that, you better give the class right now. I'm going to stop speaking. (laughs) And you take the mic because, you know, that's my best shot. (laughs) But if you've got better, I want to hear it. Believe me. So it begins with you and me, and it begins with the people in your life. And, you know, that means, like, family members, that means your wife, your husband, your kids, right? The people that, like, like, start there. Start there. And then there's even deeper than that. Because do you know how many people are trying to fix the other person when they themselves are broken? Start with yourself. Start with yourself and just, you know, and take it a step at a time. You know, I this imagery is coming to me right now. It's so horrific, so please forgive me. But it's a pretty extreme thing I'm about to tell you. But one of the just horrors of the Holocaust was that when eventually the camps were liberated, there was food now available for the first time in normal quantities, like just normal quantities, instead of these starvation rations where people were starving to death left and right and just dropping dead you know, on the ground. And there were some people who, because they had the opportunity to eat, didn't understand that their system was so closed up And they ate too much and they died. Just from a primal survival technique kicking in, they wanted they finally could eat something. They weren't like gorging themselves on chocolates. I mean, the furthest thing from that. But, But what I'm trying to say is appreciate your own limitations. Appreciate your own fragility. Appreciate the challenge that we're talking about right now. The difficulty of what we're talking right now. And take it a step at a time. Right? Because it's not just going to be, you know, you're going to, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, like, shine your ring under a light and you're going to be transformed into Captain Openheart. You know, it's not, it, it, it doesn't work like that. It's it's a process, and and you know if you just want a nice a nice piece of imagery, imagine your heart and it's got a big zipper on it, and you just slowly pull down that zipper <laughs> to open your heart, right? And and you do some inner work. The next time you feel a little twinge of discomfort when you hear some good news from someone else. Ask yourself, why? Why? And remind yourself that's your good news. Right? And now let's just take one more step because I want to give you a sense of the scale of this. Let's go back to that imagery of the dam. I don't know why that dam in China kind of comes back to me because it just seems so epic, just seems so ridiculously epic how huge that dam is. Imagine all of the energy of all of history. That's kind of like a dam. And there is an orla surrounding it a barrier surrounding all of the good of all of the generations all of the energy of all of the generations all the millions and billions of people and all the good that they've done and it's re- it's waiting to be unleashed by us do you understand there's a it's a, it's the power of a zillion hydrogen bombs that's just waiting Waiting for us to do those good actions. Waiting for us to direct it, to harness it, and to focus it. And then that is going to, that light is going to obliterate anything standing in its way. But we want it to be a fire that doesn't burn. A fire that doesn't burn. And to do that, we have to do it with sweetness and with love. Okay. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.